Recovery Talks, a podcast from Changing Lives. Well, hello everyone. Um, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Depends when you're listening to this podcast. Here we are again. Um, and welcome to, to, to this week's Recovery Talks podcast. Now, we're going to be talking about the, the recovery walk in Newcastle this year, but um, also with a bit of the history behind the recovery walk too. So I'm really looking forward to this one because I'm sure there's going to be things that I don't know that are going to emerge out of this, but also talking to today's guests um, and their thoughts on the impact of the recovery walk and, and what that's going to be. So before we, we start on any kind of conversation and questions, we'll do some quick intros. Um, Andy, do you want to say a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, hi, yeah, my, my name's Andy Hackett. Um, I, I work within Newcastle City Council within public health. I am involved in the walk, shall we say. I'm sure we'll come on to talk a, a bit more about that later. Um, and most of my role is, is within the drug and alcohol services um, and the recovery community within Newcastle. Um, I'm in long-term recovery myself. Um, yeah, I think that will do to start, won't it? And, and I can build on that as we go along. Yeah, yeah. Keep us keep us waiting in anticipation, Andy, for more. Um, <laughs> that I, and 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 I say this, you know, I say this to people who take the time out to do the podcast. Thank you for doing this because I'm aware that amongst everything else, which is the day job and everything else on top of that, people really do manage to weave these slots in for us to be able to do this, and it really does help us bring these conversations to more people. So really appreciate that, Andy. Um, so I suppose double thanks needs to go to Anne Marie, who's who's back again. She's recorded with us before. Um, <laughs> but really kind of uh, intrinsic in the recovery work. So who else were we going to ask? Um, so Anne-Marie, do you want to say a bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm the person that gets all the credit for the walk when people like Andy actually <laughs> do all the work. Um, no, my name's Anne-Marie, I'm the CEO of Faces and Voices of Recovery UK. And yeah, we are the custodians of the UK recovery walk, but it's not us that, that put on the walk. It's the, the, the people in the host town and the host cities that, that actually deliver and do all the hard work to make it happen. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, and you, you've, yeah, you're right there. Yeah, kind of leaping into that, and uh, and of course, with 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 the particular recovery walk in Newcastle that's been kind of on, then off, then delayed because of COVID, and you know, there's there's a lot of work and a lot of holding that's happened as well of the energy around the recovery walk. So, yeah, um, absolutely right to point that out. Thank you for that. Um, I'm tempted to go to you first, Amory, if that's all right, and just. Just kind of like, where does it come from? Kind of question. Um, the recovery walk and the and the purpose and the drive behind that. Would that be all right? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Well, absolutely. There's three main things about the recovery walk where um, it was about changing the cultural perception of what an addict or an alcoholic is. It was about educating both professionals and the general public about what recovery looked like. and But the main overall aim of it was about challenging stigma, you know, and making sure that recovery was visible and that people knew that there was hope. So that is the thinking behind it. The original walk started in America and we ended up having the first walk here through a series of conversations on a website called Wired In many years ago, in fact it would be 14 years ago now because this will be the 14th UK recovery walk and I put a shout out on Wired In saying is, does anybody want to do these walks and I put a link to the walk in America, would anybody like be interested in creating an organisation to deliver these walks and 
what happened was there was a meeting and it ended up in Glasgow, the meeting, and various people came from different parts of the UK. And our first um, organisation was, um, what were we called? Uh, we were a, we, we originally constituted as a community group and then we became a CIC and we were called the UK Recovery Federation for a few years. Then we changed to the UK Recovery Walk charity because I didn't think we had a mandate to call ourselves Faces and Voices of Recovery UK. Um, but when we got to the 600 member mark, I thought, right, OK, we can legitimately call ourselves Favour UK now. And yeah, that's basically how it came out. As with most things with the UK Recovery Walk and Faces and Voices of Recovery in general, it's been done on the goodwill of the people in the recovery community and its supporters and allies because we've never had any sort of real significant funding. Everything's been done on a Hail Mary. Um, and yeah, we are just, we're still doing it on a Hail Mary, in fact, which is, you know, which I could start to moan about, but I won't. We're still here 14 years later when lots of organisations aren't. So, you know, the, the, the funding... Uh, and as well, like you say, I don't want to get caught up into it. But again, is that another layer of the the, the stigma of, of of what's happening out there, that someone hasn't grabbed this and said, man, this just needs to happen. We shouldn't be scrabbling around and, and with goodwill and, and energy from people. And, you know, because if I'm honest, I think that's tapped a part of me where I see some amazing stuff happening in communities across across the UK, across the world, really, where people really invest their time and their energy and their hope and their aspiration. Um it, there's, there's something about value in all of this as well. There is, and I, I, I like I never want it to be pounds, shillings, and pence, but there is a reality to what what happens um, because the risk is what what a shame one day if there aren't the the right people around or the goodwill or the good energy and, and it and it does kind of curtail off. Uh, oh God! <laughs> I, I just on that, you know, the the phrase "visible, valuable, vocal" came to mind because I think they want I think they want the industry. And the government, etc., want the, the the recovery community to be visible. They want them to be valuable to a certain extent. You know, they want you know they they recognise that there is value in having us visible, but they don't want us being too vocal. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. the, industry, the industry doesn't want us being too vocal either, because that may have to change. Ah, so the yeah, so the challenge is there, and the yeah. So I think that's why we've not been supported financially. People, I think that's why we're still in this position where we we have to sort of scrabble around every year looking for money to do it because they don't really want us to be vocal, and they certainly don't want an angry Scottish woman being vocal <laughs> with her lipstick on. I did I did a video the other day and I had no lipstick on. I was like, why did you not put your lipstick on? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, absolutely, Andy. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to step in here because I think me and Anne Marie can get get right on the soapboxes <laughs> on. But it's coming to Newcastle. It's been due in Newcastle for a while now, um, and you know, and look, I can sit here and pretend I know. I don't. I don't know the amount of effort that goes into behind the scenes on all this. Yes. Um, so that's I, about it. I think Anne Marie's just summed it up just by that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So on this podcast, we have the beauty of seeing each other on a screen and Anne Marie's face and expression says it is huge. It's absolutely huge. So what what's it been like, Andy, to to be kind of grassroots? The idea comes, let's do this recovery walk, get in touch with Anne Marie and the team, and then it the domino effect goes. It's like, okay, we're gonna do this. What what's that been like? 
Um, well, I, I guess for me, just expanding this bit, I think I went, I went to my first recovery walk, not, not the UK recovery walk, my first recovery walk about eight or nine years ago. And it was, and, and I share this with people when I talk about the walk, for me, a life-changing experience, you know, probably a, a phrase overly used, but I feel it, it certainly was. And then I went to my first recovery walk as, a, as an attendee, Manchester it was, whatever year that was, a, a good few years ago. Um, and then was involved to some extent in one where we had the northeast one in Durham. Um, and <laughs> I would love to say, but I'm, I, I, I am honest, I would love to say when the, when the opportunity to bid for the, the recovery walk in Newcastle came, I was a voice that went, no, 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 because I'd seen how much work was involved <laughs> behind the scenes. The idea of having it there was wonderful. Um, however, a, a couple of um, a couple of guys from the recovery community pushed and pushed and pushed, and and we did it. And I, I wrote a piece for the recovery walk this year, and I, I remember sitting in bed with my phone in front of me at one minute to midnight on the day that the bid would be announced, whether we'd won it or not. Watching that percentage go up and down until yes, it's us. Um, and just feeling totally elated. What it's what it's been like since then? Yeah, we 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 in 2019 and into 2020, we had I don't know 20, 30 people every meeting, loads of ideas, so much passion, etc. And then of course it got we had to cancel, um, and we and we managed um, with Anne Marie really to to do a virtual event. And then next year, yeah, it's still in Newcastle, same amount of energy um, and having to cancel again. And we put on a smaller walk um, and it, it seems it seems so long ago when we started it now, to be honest. And then this year to be able to to really do it. And, and we're almost there. You know, it, it's 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 almost upon us. And the people involved this year, there's, there's been some people that have been involved since the start. There's been lots of new faces. There's been lots of new organisations um, who've really, really driven it forward this year. We've always, and I must say, from from a, I guess a professional point of view, my colleagues and senior colleagues within public health have been so so supportive of, of having the walk in the city and what it will mean to the city. You know, we we want to make our city of Newcastle which has a reputation as a party city and in, in a way that that is a positive yeah but it's also we want to build it as a recovery city we have a very strong recovery community there who are really again involved in in, in pushing the walk and advertising the walk and, and promoting the walk um it, it's i i said what it what it what's it going to be to the city and what is, is it going to be to the to the people in there is, is probably so many individual thoughts and feelings you know to me it is it's a it's a it's a chance to showcase to a certain extent how we've evolved within the city and also now i think over the last two years everyone in the country is in recovery you know we're living in a completely different world still you know we're talking here on on teams um 
and and that's the way we converse a lot of the time and to have something where we can get out and we can show people and we can do exactly what it says on the tin you know those faces and voices of recovery um to to show it it works and to show how and what a difference it makes in people's lives and all, all my sort of doubts about oh it's coming and we've got to do it again and it's going to be around they've gone again they've gone I, i'm just a hundred percent enthusiastic i've just come from one of the the, the the recovery planning meetings and again just such a buzz still with the ideas so much in place um yeah can't, can't wait for it to happen now do you know it's and it's it's, fa- it's fantastic listening to you to- because what's what's really striking me there as you were talking, Andy, as well is, and and I'll have to own this really because I think of the event, I think of the recovery walk, but when I was listening to you talk there, and and a lot in the in in the in the field that I work in, the recovery field, and the people that I know, and there's a lot of talk about community and connection and visibility, and and actually it starts there, doesn't it? It's like thirty of you get together, then the local authority get involved, and the reverberations of the walks start making their way through. A local authority and then partners get involved who want to be involved as well and i think it's all there isn't it it's all happening i mean is am i am i kind of painting a lovely picture there Anne marie is that like a yeah Andy, that, yeah it sounds nice mate and you're on a podcast but or is it do you get that does it have, have that legacy impact of well actually yeah visibility starts from scratch there and it builds and reverberates through no, it definitely does. You know, there's been legacy projects born out of the walk. In some areas that we've went to, there hasn't been a visible recovery community. Newcastle isn't one of them. You know, Newcastle has got a really vibrant recovery community already, but it it definitely has that legacy. Like every year I hear about, um, you know, even people who were on the walk or who joined the walk or whose families joined the walk. I remember the first time it happened, in fact, it was in Glasgow. And there was a family, um, it was in 2010, there was a family came on to the Green and I, I, I didn't know any of this was happening at the time. And anyway, about maybe about 10 months later, I got an email from someone. And basically it was a, a, a boy's mother who had stumbled onto the green. She had what what's going on here today? She'd met people in recovery. One of the boys that she'd met at one of the stalls had went to school with her son, who was currently in active addiction. Um, cut long story short, basically this woman was emailing me 10 years later because her son was nine months and he has recovery journey because that boy had came, met him, had lunch, they had dinner together. He then took him to... Um, a recovery meeting he also got help from services that young man and even now so that was 2010 I know that young man because he's part of my community here in Glasgow and um, he's done a degree he's now a fully qualified social worker do you know what I mean so I just need to when I think every year when I think I'm not doing this again I'm not going to try and raise the money for this you know I'm not getting my begging bowl out again I've got a story like that or several stories like that for every single year. Now, Andy hasn't had the lovely experience of that yet or the team in Newcastle, but there will be people coming to them in years from now and who will, you know, that reward, they will know, they will have their own version of those stories, not just as people who persevered like Andy and the guys on the team who are, you know, working behind the scenes every day to make this happen and you know like really coming up against lots of barriers to make it happen you'd be surprised how many barriers there are but they will have 
stories like that to take with them and you know and and it's not always that we have those stories you know we don't always get those stories but I know those stories intimately obviously because it's been my privilege and my honour to walk you know with the walk for the last 14 years so I, I have yeah there's massive legacy there and not only that it's not just about people getting abstinent right or getting clean or you know whatever language you want to use or people getting into recovery or getting stable the, the, there's loads of stories and legacies from staff and from even some of the CEOs of the big charities who come. Um, like they always say to me, it's like, this is the the event of the year for me. Um, this tells me, this shows me why my work's important. It shows me, it reminds me why I do this work. And of course, at that point, that's when I hit them up for next year's money, for the next year's <laughs> You know, there's mass. Honestly, there is massive legacy, but it's it doesn't come without graft uh, from the team on the ground to actually make it happen. And there's very little thanks for that. And and like I said, you know, I'm making a joke about I get the credit for it, but I, but I do get the credit for it. And it's not me. You know, it's not me that does that work. Mm. It feels like a real parallel there, just with the personal recovery journey as well, doesn't it? It's like you've got to stick with it. You've got to stay in there. It's hard work at times. You've got to. You know, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And it's moments like this where I want one of those little banners to flash across the screen somewhere. And just anyone listening to this podcast who's, who's who knows someone or themselves is just thinking, I can't do this. It's not possible. Oh, man, it is. It really is. And I know it's difficult and even seems so impossible, but it really is. And just listening to you talking about that, just that one story there, Anne-Marie, is like, that's it. That's that, that bit that ignites in me. It's like, that's it right there. More of that that's the bit that happens that magical moment or that magical period of time for someone of transition um, and it's it, it can come from anywhere and there'll be lots of those sparks with the recovery walk that've got potential to kind of land with people um and it must for you Andy as well I mean what really struck me was at the beginning you were saying you know I'm a, I'm a guy here got lived experience myself working in the sector doing this to be part of this must and it's a bit of a personal question it's tell me to bugger off but it must <laughs> be amazing to to be kind of in like I know it's a team of people doing it, but from your perspective, um, like years down the line to be involved in this as well, and, and, and it must feel amazing to be involved in it. It, it, it is, it is, it, it's absolutely incredible. And, and I won't lie, over the last three years, I've wished that I'd never heard of the recovery walk and didn't know anything about it. Um, we can edit that bit out, Amber. <laughs> we can edit that bit out. <laughs> no, I thought, yeah, no, it's I, totally I true. Some days myself. <laughs> Andy, honestly, it is a, sure. it is a burden I know it is. But it, it, it's like you, something about what you just said, Andy, as well, about the, the reflection on, on recovery itself, because there are there are some days, I, I don't, I, I mean, some of it's tongue-in-cheek. I don't want to make it sound like a, a dark process at all. But there are sometimes, some days I think, I just, I can't do this. I, I don't know, there's too much and I can't do this. There's too many barriers or there's too much. But the... The answer to that is like my recovery, isn't it? I, I, I can't do it on my own, but I've got a team of people around me who can help, who are part of the team, and I'm not taking the credits for that. It's all of us together. All of us together do it. And, and the walk, the walk is is the beautiful celebration at the end of, of the work. It's the work that gets there, to get there that makes the real differences. It's the, it's the people coming in and going, what? Like today, you know, there was a, there was a recovery meeting next door to where we were having the, the the recovery walk meeting. People were popping in. 
I have a feeling that some of them just came into the wrong room by mistake, to be honest. But they stayed and they're part of, you know, and, and then they'll take that message. So it's that building, like, like in recovery, isn't it? It starts in the community. It starts with the people in the community and it turns into something bigger that is visible to everything, everyone. But without that initial work within the community, then then it's not going to work. And the legacies, I'm, I'm seeing the legacies of the walk already. Back in 2019, 2020, I met two amazing people, thanks to Anne-Marie, called Neetha and Khalees, um from CCAR in, in the States. And, 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 and we had conversations about recovery coaching. And, and the last year's walk, we had some conversations about recovery coaching. And now they're in the city delivering recovery coaching to some of our people. We've got 30 people plus fully trained up. And their training is amazing. And this isn't a sell. It's just... It, it's revolutionising for me the way I see recovery, coaching, mentoring, and support, and and the way they've helped with the the recovery walk as well. We're seeing that, and that is in direct cause, I guess, or, or comes directly from the recovery walk. I've probably have never met these people, mm. so it is it is a whole process. It's the walk, the festival, is is the joyous little celebration at the end, isn't it? Like when mm. you when you when you you've, you've done a big piece of work, you go right. Let's go and celebrate for a while. That's the walk in mm. so, the festival. So, Andy, that's so beautiful. Two things there, if you don't mind, Andy, I'll just come in and say because I'm thinking about Pete Davies and Brighton right now. Pete still follows me. Pete, I think Brighton was 2011, right? The, the UK recovery work. Now I still keep in touch with Pete Davies, who was the main organizer down there for that. And they went through a real baptism of fire to pull the walk together, you know. And what he tells me, what was born from that experience was Cascade Recovery, right, which is still an organisation that's still going to this day. And all the lessons that he learned and the, the organising committee learned during that time helped them build Cascade. It gave them the confidence um, to believe in themselves to build Cascade and Cascade's still going you know but the second thing that you you hit on was that thing about you know when when I was using right when I was in active addiction I was really good at hooking people up and you know I'm talking about drug dealers from different cities here <laughs> so what you what you just described you know beneath and Kalisa and I was talking about their training this morning and I'm not doing the sale either right Good stuff sells itself. But I was saying, like, that particular training, the CCAR training, is the only training in America that's endorsed by the American government. Now, if it was endorsed by the UK government or by the Scottish government or by the Welsh government, I'd be highly questionable because they don't have recovery experts actually leading this agenda. But in the White House, they do. They've got people in long-term recovery who have came up through the ranks and who they've got a recovery office. So mm -hmm. I know that that product is superb. I also know that, you know, we we did a bastardised version of it, for want of a better word. Um, that is a real word. It's not a swear word. <laughs> <laughs> not a swear word. Um, and we got permission to do that version a long time ago, and it hasn't been updated. Uh, well, the updated version is what Nathan and Khalees do at the Recovery Coach Academy. So, you know, the, the legacy is stuff like that. It's about 
learning, it's about connections, it's about relationships and it's about building the recovery movement. And I don't think we've actually had an opportunity to really build the movement. In fact, well, it's not growing quickly enough for me. I think uh, that's not just my impatience. I think there is resistance towards the movement building, huge resistance and the fact that we are still building and we still have some sort of movement. Um, albeit small, but very, very powerful and very, very influential. I think that says a lot for the authenticity and the autonomy and the integrity of what we're trying to do. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, the, the only thing I would add to that is, is I mean, I'm fortunate enough working for the charity I do that I work across many regions and I'm listening to people talking and planning ahead of how they're going to get to the recovery and it's bringing people together. You know, it's like, well, right, we're going to need a bus this year. We're going to need a bigger bus this year. We're going to need. But what it does is it creates these meetings where people get together to organise it. And then the social aspect of that falling out. And then and, and I remember years ago, what, what was it? I, I don't think it was Manchester or they were. I was talking to someone who was really new into kind of considering what recovery was for them. Really early kind of doors, just separating from that relationship with substances. And they were just getting into kind of a different level of social connection with people, a different social group. They were going to a few mutual aid meetings and there was this, just this thing that happened where it was like, so it's not just me then. And it's not just this meeting I go to here. It's this big thing that happens. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could see this like, oh my, right, okay. And it was so freeing because it was like, yeah, it was because for years and years of that condensed shame and the feeling of being alone and the isolation, it was like this chrysalis moment of like, oh, right, OK, wow, um, right, I'm going to go. And I was like, that's it, that's that's it. Just, just just do that, just go and see all these people. It's really, it's really hard to convey the different levels of what's happening, isn't it? Because even at the planning meeting that Andy puts on, you've got people from public health, you've got people from mutual aid meetings, you've got people who work in services, people who are attending services, you know, you maybe have someone there from the homeless sector, you maybe have someone there from the poverty sector, you know, like it's like some sort of cross-pollination that happens. And and not one of the things I remember in particular about, um, I think it was in... Uh, Middlesbrough was you had all sorts of levels of strategic people there but also people who worked on the ground and those really even at the, the monthly planning meetings there's something really special happens at the monthly planning meetings where those relationships are forged and it, obviously everybody's got a common purpose they want to make the walk the best walk ever but there's some there is definitely something special legacy wise that helps people in strategic and operational roles see what each other's doing a lot better yeah yeah and i think what it does as well just quickly and just on the back of that about the, the planning meetings is it, it there are people from different levels i don't know whether don't mind hierarchical just from different backgrounds and different jobs and and different areas but also the meeting seems to level the playing field you know, it levels the playing field, as, as I think the people who tend the walk does. It's not about that anymore. It's about the walk, recovery, the recovery movement. And those conversations then happen. They happen today. That, that's why I was almost late, sitting there having the conversations for an hour and a half after the walk about training opportunities for people, other areas that people are involved in. <clears throat> Can we bring this in? Can I have a stalk? Do you want to come here? 
conversations that wouldn't normally have happened or would may have happened with a, an email address and a meeting somewhere six months down the line and trying to put together some sort of group they just happened they just flowed you know because people are in that mindset of we're, we're all looking to do the same thing whether the people are in recovery friends of recovery or, or not just that general understanding it it does change the emphasis of people's yeah. thoughts i'm sure it does yeah absolutely yeah and, and through all these connections then am i again i, I don't know I, I always look to people i'm talking to to shoot shoot holes in this this wonderful world that i live in at times it's kind <laughs> of like really um i don't know amazing positive but so i, I mean the, the idea with stigma because this is around challenging stigma as well is is, is the multiple layers of this because there is I mean I remember this one when I was going through kind of trying to get support and trying to there was what I thought of myself you know that was a really big it's like an internalized stigma that I'd been given from the outside in about what it meant to be an addict what it meant to take drugs what it meant to drink alcohol worthy what it meant to 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 not be a productive member of society what someone once wonderfully told me in a motivational way I'm not a productive member of society helped loads fantastic well done um so there was this internalized stigma that I hold about myself, uh, but also there's the there's the external, isn't it? There's what we see out in communities and 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 you know what people kind of think of, or their their association with what's actually happening for people around addiction, and it often stops at the substance. It doesn't see the person; it stops at the substance. So I have this wonderful image that recovery walks have, are, will challenge this they will they will offer a, a, a beautiful a real face a visible recovery albeit in an event but as we've been talking throughout the planning of the event throughout the legacy throughout the the aftermath of all of this it will offer that is is that kind of an expectation too high for me to think and it won't be just newcastle will it this will be visible beyond it will have the degrees of separation it will have the domino effect am i Am I selling it? There? Am I pitching something there that's not? No, I, th I think I think you're right. There's a there's a major issue around stigma. Right? It sort of makes my skin crawl a wee bit. Like the very systems and some of its representatives that pontificate about reducing stigma are some of the greatest participants in it. Actually, right, and that's I'm talking about treatment. Um, services at times you know in some of the, the the leads and the people that and some of the policy actors that we have in scotland really do you know for instance there was a 100 page document published recently about what words to use and what words not to use and if you use the wrong words you're being stigmatizing you know and, and i've always said particularly those two words that are hugely controversial um and, and you know and i, and I, I see these debates as red herring debates away from getting us actual more investment right but i'll go into it just for to illustrate the point so the word clean and the word addict now the culture that i got well and those those words are important to me they're not stigmatizing at all there's nothing stigmatizing about using those words i'm not putting anyone else down i'm not saying anyone else is dirty i wasn't dirty when i was using you know i've got washed most days um but the word addict to me is an empowering, it's a reminder of my my, you know, what I what I suffer from. And I and I'm I'm not cured from that, you know. So there's 
But one one of the things that I then I then ask people to do who are hugely offended by those words is I say to them, well, you have to respect the culture that I got well in, and you know you can't argue with that. That is the culture of the of the organisation I got well in, whether it's right or wrong. I don't find the word stigmatising. The fact that you do, and, and I will be respectful and careful in certain types of company not to use those words. But if I do, you know, people have still got to be respectful and considerate of the culture that I got well in, surely. So, but I think ultimately the stigma can can be both implicit and complicit. And you, you spoke about personal stigma there. You know, one of the reasons why... I think this is so valuable and we're talking on many levels here and I'm sure Andy will identify with this as well. That you know, coming from a you know a hugely traumatic background ground which I have, I think I've spoken about it publicly, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, um, growing up with that and then becoming a young woman who got any recovery and got educated, even now I still have days where I go you know, is the reason why we're scrambling about looking for money of this, is it because I'm shit at what I do, is it because I'm not a good enough leader, is it because I'm not this, is it, is it because of me, do you know what I mean, is it because I'm not enough, you know, and this condition tells me all the time, you know, you're not enough, and it tells me at different levels of volume in my head, and do you know what? I'm far from perfect. I'm quite sure on some days I am nowhere near the mark of what I should be or what I could be or what the recovery community might want me to be. But, you know, I, that healing, that healing that I, that I need to say, like what you said, Andy, it doesn't come down to me being productive. It doesn't come down to me being enough. You know, it doesn't, none of that is important. Where am I at today? Where is my mental health at? Am I taking care of myself today? You know, always comes back to that personal recovery, you know, like, but the stigma and the shame, the inappropriate shame that I've felt over the years of being a sexual abuse, an incest survivor, uh, an addict in recovery, you know, someone who harmed themselves because Mm -hmm. they didn't know any other way to cope with life is completely inappropriate. And I, I see that inappropriate shame everywhere I go. Yeah. And it's something that I continue to have to heal from. It's not something you get cured from, that stigma and that inappropriate shame. It's, it, it comes up and at different levels, as I'm yeah. sure people agree. That, yeah, absolutely. I, 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 and yeah, um, I suppose what stands out for me, I really powerful what you're saying there Anne-Marie was was that I mean when I start talking to people we there was something about and I've had this conversation about the importance of language and I think yeah but, but what you're talking about is the importance of trying to get it right though the importance of language and bonding was I sat in a room with people and we used a, a same language I felt part of something and we connected through that language that's what we did we connected and it meant it meant a hell of a lot to me there and um and again, throughout the sector, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've got plenty to say on this, Andy, as well. But I get offered people selling me reflective practice and stuff all the time, and I think I've never worked in such an innate way with people. Where it's just, it's second nature to go right. What's happening for me? Okay, where do we start from? Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful way of doing that, that and being mindful that I can take these knocks and bumps, and this is what it can mean to me. It's like you know, from a mental health perspective, is you know, years down the line, I'll, I'll be asked to present somewhere. And I get the shiver up my spine and the who do you think you are? And, the you know, it all comes rushing back because I lived that life for so many years. 
you know, why wouldn't it trigger something that's historic and of me, you know, in that process? What I do with that is different today. And that's the help that I've had around me from a lot of people as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely rings true for me. I don't, I, I don't know about you, Andy, but really poignant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the phrase that you used earlier was important to me, that <clears throat> internalised stigma. You know, there, there will be, a, from a from an outsider looking in, from a, a person looking at the, the substance or the addict, not the person, there will always be some of that resentment, some of that stigma, some of that fear, you know, and, and it's not just someone in addiction or in recovery who, who has to or does suffer from that or experience that, you know, it, it's a mental illness, a mental disability, a physical disability, where you lived, what you look like, all, all those things. I think the important thing about it is, is that internal stigma. Who, who, is, who is the most stigmatic? And I'm not sure that is a word, but I'm going to use it. Who is the most stigmatic to, to us or to me is me. It's all those things that you both just said, isn't it? I think that, is, that right there is, is the key to work on, on stigma. It's our individual internal stigma rather than the external stigma that, that might be there. All we perceive is there yeah. because we're allowing our internal feelings then to, to process others. That person must think I'm do-do-do because they know I was an addict. Well, I don't know that. And are they thinking that? So the... I guess the education around the, the populace, if you like, around addiction, around recovery, is 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 needs to improve to 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 lower those boundaries. But I think, like most other things, it's the internal stuff within us first that we have to work on to be able to fight that internal stigma of our own. If that makes sense, and I think there's a there's a sense, like anything else, is it a fact that the, the more we talk about stigma, the more it raises awareness and becomes better. Or is it the more we talk about stigma, we, we continue to talk about stigma for the sake of it, whether it exists or not? I don't think I've put that over quite right. But are, are we are we keeping that as in the headlines when we shouldn't be? You're bang on the money because I think the industry uses stigma as a, a sort of overall concept of well what i'm seeing and feeling very much in scotland is like you know we've got some big policy actors saying it's stigma that's killing people and i'm even looking at andy's you know <laughs> uh behind him stigma kills and i'm like is it stigma that's killing or a lack of investment in actual in your treatment system that's killing people so i think stigma can be used as a political red herring um, by the industry itself um, to say, well, um, it's, it's everyone out there's problem. It's, it's the general public's problem. It's, it, it's, the, it's your attitude towards drug users that's the problem, rather than our treatment systems are only properly funded, our, our, our professionals are only um, paid well enough. The many, many people who work in the industry are exhausted. Um, what we're providing is the bare bones of treatment in many places across the UK. And maybe it's that that's killing people rather than stigma. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I remember, and I, I constantly say this to people, it's like addiction was something I did. 
it was like it was it was an activity in my life so it feels like addiction okay then and then what it's okay stigma and okay now then what then because it's the the amount of people right now that you think maybe reaching out for help either going through treatment services or just reaching out for help and the first conversation and many of the conversations if not the whole of the conversation will be about substances and and and, and this is really it feels risky saying it. It feels really risky saying this. And I have said this in training that I deliver in other areas. Um, but I've likened it because I think there are similarities as well when you think of trauma bonding to things like domestic violence. And I think I wouldn't sit down with someone and then say, so tell me about the perpetrator. Yeah. No, no, no. Tell me about you. What do we need to do for you? How can I help you make sense and meaning of what's happening so that there is a real opportunity for you to make decisions in your life, healthier decisions for you and what support needs to be around you. Tell me about you. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I don't want to sit and talk to you about alcohol. I don't want to sit and talk to you about drugs because it's the third person in the room that's going to keep us stuck. And it's, it's very similar with the, 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 the stigma and it's the kind of angle I'm trying to drive now with the stigma. It's like, yeah, absolutely. An unhealthy narrative and stigma is not going to help us. Okay, then what? What yeah. do we do then? And I, I think that's... When we... Sorry, sorry. I was just going to say, I think that our leadership, the leadership, the type of leadership we need for our complex times and complex systems is inclusive leadership. So we have to be saying, like, we have to admit that it's not necessarily about the substance, like what Andy was just saying, is that, you know, drug and alcohol services are all well and good and have framing some sort of help around that is obviously important but those still, those same institutions don't really understand the addiction you know that you you may well have used alcohol or other drugs and um, but when you detach from that use there are other elements other unhealthy coping mechanisms that may even well turn into other addictions and i think that the institutions the drug and alcohol treatment institutions harbour a lot of fear and prejudice towards lived experience because of our understanding of what happens then when we put the substance down because they're focused on putting the substance down or, or making the substance use manageable whereas we know that there's far more evidence of the depth of the problem once we put the substance down so and the very fact that there are so few lived experience organizations that are funded properly across the UK I think the louder and more visible and more vocal we get as a community and as a movement I think that the institutions have a fear and prejudice towards us so there's there is I think there's tremendous stigma towards us although you know that we'll get pats on the back and we may get the odd promotion you know may say oh that that chap's got something good to say there but underneath it I think there's there's a deeper thing going on here that may be another conversation about another <laughs> You mean the you mean the status quo, Andrew? Are we challenging oh. the status quo here? Is this um? Uh, yeah. Not. Always, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and what what worries me about that is if there's is the parallel process with addiction itself. It is it is a it's a, it's an experience of impasse. You know, and I remember that place of feeling I was stuck, and I think the system's got itself in the same place. It's in impasse. Bang on the money. So it's a parallel process, and it's a, and, and what really gets me is it's not a policy; it's a people thing. 
And, and when we talk about vicarious and secondary trauma, we've absorbed it into the it's system. A leadership, it's a leadership thing, Andy, because I see the leadership we need from these complex times is inclusive leadership. And we need people that are thinking about that. They're thinking about the the wider impact of, mm. you know, not just alcohol and drugs here. Yeah, yeah. It's just addiction, I- talking about poverty, inequality, mental health, you know. Yeah. Well, now, now you are talking, absolutely. And I think going back to, again to what you said, Andy, about that initial conversation, you know, I understand from a, from a, a drug service point of view, you know, we, if someone goes in, it, the initial conversation may be around drug use, but then you know that about the person, don't you? There's no point in having a conversation with a person about something you already know about them, because that's not why they're there. You know, so that is a is a is a very quick conversation, or that is a, an element. It's that next stage, and I think that comes from, or the inability to do that. Like we took Amory's talked to and shared a little about her past there, and and we know how many people in recovery have had some sort of trauma mm-hmm. in their past lives. That those elements are what we need to concentrate on, and and I have a feeling that. <clears throat> Certainly a lot of the drug and alcohol services, the people that work there, the recovery community, are eager for that knowledge. I think stigma comes from ignorance. And not just ignorance as it looked at persons and addict, therefore they must be, and, and we all know that the huge list that could follow. It's a it's an ignorance in a way about could I help? I don't know how to. Yeah. What are the paths that I can help this person with? Yeah, you know, I remember when I when I first my first job within the recovery within the, the drug and alcohol industry was with a the same provider that you work for, Andy, as a, a peer peer support worker, and and I saw clients and and I knew how to tell them to go to twelve step fellowships and how good it was, and if they didn't want to, I, I was stuck. Basically, I didn't know what to do. That was just my lack of experience and lack of knowledge, which is you know, why I moved on. But I think there's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of people who are in the same boat as that. Mm. So whether it's stigma or I guess it comes under stigma, but is it stigma or is it just lack of knowledge about what the real issues are and how to help? Or even not the lack of knowledge, but the lack of experience and skills. Mm. Yeah. Are we underskilled? Yeah. within the drug and alcohol industry. And, and I, don't, I don't think it's, sorry, Andy, I don't think it's just in alcohol in, in our industry. I think overall, as human beings, now, Andy Ryan, sorry, two Andy's here, Andy Ryan started talking there about connection, and that's what I've picked up throughout this whole mm-hmm. uh, chat today. Those connections are, you know, that are so vital to us as recovering people are just as vital to everybody else who's now recovering, you know, or who doesn't have an alcohol and drug problem. And I think that's one of the major failures that we we've became so siloed across all the different systems and we end up signposting all the time where people have to t- tell the same stories. And there's something about us stripping that back. And I remember my first post um, and I was in a situation whereby I was actually wanting to take someone to a mutual aid meeting and I, I, I couldn't because I, I wasn't allowed to disclose my own personal recovery right and it was like it was, I was in a therapeutic setting I was counselling it was grief counselling 
and I was, you know, my my own professional standards and boundaries at that point would not allow me to do that. They would not allow me to disclose them. I remember being in supervision and saying to my boss, you know, like, this is wrong. I can't, I can't continue to do this because the therapeutic value that I have to offer here, I cannot engage in because the professional standards won't allow me to. Like, I will be technically unprofessional if I break this boundary. And he agreed with me. And, and I had to stop that area of work. I could no longer keep yeah. my integrity and keep doing it. And um, I, I was later to meet that person outside of a professional environment. I bumped into them one day and I was able to, you know, do what we do so well. Um, but I just think there's so many boundaries, so many, and, and ultimately so many silos and barriers to prevent us from connecting as human beings. And those... Those coping mechanisms that we have learned as people unhealthy when we're in addiction, still unhealthy when we put substances down or, you know, years later or however long it takes for us to get any more healthy coping mechanisms and passing on. For me, sorry, I'm ranting here a bit, I'm tired, but it always comes down to connection. It always comes down to relationships. It always comes down to how I feel with that person. And it doesn't matter, it could be the person at the bus stop, the person at the checkout in Tesco's, it could be the person who I've known for 30 years. See that that connection, that's what I need. I'm a human being, I need the connection. And how do we do that? How do we deliver that connection? But and what a beautiful way of like transcending this this stigma conversation and saying it is about all of us. It is about connection. It's about our humanness. It's not about my addiction. It's about my humanness. And whether it be because of a lack of quality in, or an absence of, or an abuse of connection that I've experienced that's brought this about with me. And and it yeah, just listening to the air movie reminds me of I, I walk this planet dissociated, desensitized, and dissociated. And I remember telling a part of my story to to a therapist and she started crying. And it was in that moment that that wonderful thing happens between two human beings where she helped me get back in touch with something that had happened for me that reassociated me, that resensitized me, that brought me back to this world, that allowed me not to run, stop running from my history and meet it. And it's... Andy, that never... I had a recent experience with that only a couple of months ago. I was I was really into one friend and I'm 25 years this year, you know, like next month I'll celebrate 25 years with my gorgeous big son in Paris. Um, but I had this, and this is where the connection is really valuable, right? When we start to share this stuff, because a lot of what we're talking about here is concepts and theory, but when we start to share our experience with each other, right? So... This friend said, I was really into one friend, what another friend said, and the, the thing was, uh, this friend said to me, oh, you're so, babe, you're so good all the time. You know, and she, this friend was really annoyed with me for being so effing good all the time, right? And she was referring to, you know, my work and how, you know, and, uh, and my instinct was to play small and to say, no, no, like, and to bring, just to put myself down and say, like, I'm not that bloody good, you know, I'm like, like, I've still got this, I've still got that, I've still got this. But when I relayed that conversation to another friend and I was saying, I feel bad about playing small, right? This other friend, like your therapist, I could see in her face, she was like, oh my God, like, you're the type of friend I want you in my life, my God, you know, like, 
and you want good people in your life. And it was her, her reaction to this other friend that, that really confirmed for me that my friend's reaction was unhealthy. Mm. Also, yeah. but, and, and, and I could see, and, and it was the same in my, my childhood, the sexual abuse experience, when I started sharing about those, the horror, you know, on other people's faces made it like, oh God, right, yeah, that was really bad, wasn't it? I had like you, but I've still, I've still can disassociate and play small, even to this day. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. And that's when when people say, you know, when they want to get into intellectual debates about language, you know, about are you recovered? Are you recovering? Are you? Do you know what I mean? Are you surely you're not an addict anymore? And I'm just like, no, mate. Trust me, I am still recovering. You know, <laughs> I am yeah. still recovering. Thank God, I've still, I'm still recovering. You know. Yeah. And and the recovery work is just one of these places. It's going to be one of these events. It's the whole process. It's full of connection. It's full of those penny dropping moments, or there's there's yeah. a wonderful reflective moments of someone saying, "Oh, you know, I, yeah, you're doing well. I'm doing well. With it's it's great to see you. It's for families to attend. It's like I, for everyone to see that this is doable." And well, Andy, on, on a score of zero to ten, how easy is it to get a word in with me and Anne Marie on a call? I mean, is it? No, no, I, 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 I love the, the passion. I mean, I, yeah, so, and I'm aware we are coming towards the, the end of the podcast as well, but I did want to ask you, Andy, is, is like, is, is there any mindful kind of legacy ideas emerging from the group that's like, this is what it's going to do? Or really, is it a kind of, no, you put the work in, we, we, we make the event happen. We can talk about, in a minute, hopefully you can plug the event to make sure that anyone yeah. listening, if you want to be there, this is where you need to be. Um, is there anything mindful about a legacy with this or is it an organic or is there anything for that? Or is there any hopes or aspirations with the recovery walk? Absolutely. I certainly don't, I don't approach it and I don't feel like it's um, a piece of work with a start and a finish. The, 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 the planning and the walk obviously has a start and a finish, but going back to what I said before, those connections that have been made, within those meetings are connections that will bloom and will lead into other pieces of work. They'll lead to different opportunities for people. They'll lead to different friendships. You know, I saw people today that I, I haven't seen for four or five years. Um, obviously it's been, it's been COVID, it's been a different, but whether I'd have seen them anyway, but they were there, you know, so it's linking up with other people's lives again. It's it's reintroducing us. I think especially now in, in the, you know, in, in the new world, if you like, um, I think it's especially important that we can do that. And, and the walk, you know, I, I'm conscious of, of you know, I've just come from the meet, I'm, I'm full of enthusiasm about it. I'm conscious of not selling it as the be or an end or the, the, that will solve everything. It isn't, but it's an incredible place where people can get together and share, you know, yeah. and, and the, the fallout, if you like, or the next steps of that, I'm, I'm not quite sure what they'll be. I've seen so many things already. Like I said my my catching up and, and my meeting Nathan and, and, and Khalees and how that's happening. Integration with other organisations, people, settings, places within Newcastle. Finding out people that I work with every day, how passionate they are about it. Not Not people in recovery that I'm aware of. Let me put that in. Um, yeah, I, I feel a little tongue-tied just trying to trying to get it across. The, the passion. I tell you what, the, the the way to experiences is, and this will lead nice down. The, the way to experiences to turn up 
and to come and to see what it feels like whatever whatever your background your hopes or your wants are for it because it, it is an a an incredible event you know and we have to keep it going um and i think it's it it's it's not it's something people will learn from it's people people will take from and like, like what we said right at the start it's things people will look back and go that time at that walk this is this is what happened i can at the just quickly the manchester walk that you mentioned and me which was the first one i went to and i took some people and there's about 30 and 40 of us and it was just it was just incredible and at the end there was a choir singing on the stage and there was two or three lads standing next to me and as the choir started singing they put their arms around each other i can feel myself getting a bit emotional and uh i said can i have a go and i'll put my arm around this guy and then the person I was standing next to put there, and as the choir went on, I looked around. I don't know how many people were at that walk. I looked around, and everyone had got their arms around each other. Oh man, that's—I'll never forget how I felt at that moment, and that was incredible. And and that is that is not over pushing the 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 effect this this could have because yes it's the walk but that could have been in a meeting couldn't it that could have been in a in a one-to-one with someone that realization of knowledge can i hug this complete stranger as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely you know I, I, that is so beautiful andy and, and i'm thinking back to 2012 manchester do you know that was the year that we we became the charity because we'd had a few walks before then. Uh, but it was also the year, I was 15 years clean at that point, And it was the year that my life fell apart. In a four month period, My uh, I found out my long-term partner was cheating on me. I got cancer in my room, I lost my job and I had to sell my house. That all happened to me that year. And I remember being on the stage, like, really unwell, really unhealthy, and thinking, what am I even doing here? Do you know what I mean? Who is this person? What am I doing? I need to get my life sorted. You know, my life is falling apart here. But I remember being on the stage that day and seeing the crowd bouncing. And I think because it was in an amphitheatre as well, and and there was a a young guy there, oh God, sorry, forgive me, his name, he was a young rapper, he was phenomenal. Um, and he, he's been on, he's been on to create his own recovery festival, that young guy. <laughs> but he's doing his own event every year now. But I remember thinking, it's not about you, Anne-Marie. Just bloody show up. Just keep the thing turning over, Just keep it going. And um, yeah, it's not about me. And so if if people are listening to this and, and, and I know I've been there before with particular things where it's like, oh, I'm not going to go. It's not going to be, I, you know, and I, I start convincing myself, you know, not to be there. It's one of those, you know, it's going to be good. Get yourself there. It's going to have this impact. It can have this impact. How do we do it, Andy? Do, do you want to, is there anything to plug with this? Um, where to go? People need to find out where they need to be and what to do. Is it as simple as that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's, if you're looking on social media, again, going back to, to the wonderful support we've had, the posters are, are everywhere uh, and, the, and there's more coming out. Um, we, we've just at that, the, the last meeting, we've just done some talking head videos. So they'll be out there. 
it's literally all over social media. For anyone who, who, who will be listening, uh, we have on the 16th, Friday the 16th of September, we have uh, a conference at Newcastle College. And the, the theme of the conference this year is veterans and veterans in recovery. So we've got some amazing speakers from around the country there. Following that, um, on the evening of the 16th, we have a spiritual service in Newcastle Cathedral. Um, and, and after that, we have the opportunity for people to sleep out in the cathedral if they wish. So that takes them through. And as, then we go into Saturday, which start the walk starts at Ceremonial Way, which is the Civic Centre right in the middle of Newcastle um, at 12 o'clock. We walk through the streets of Newcastle and we walk up to the Exhibition Park, which is a beautiful park in the middle of Newcastle for the festival. And so many things there at the festival, I, I can't even list them all. The stage for um, food vendors, uh, entertainment for the kids, 15 store, different stalls providing different um, activities with the recovery community. We've got a recovery tent where we'll be hosting meetings for the rest of the day. So that, that's what you can get. Have a look on social media and it'll be there. Um, if anyone really, if anyone wants any more details, they can email me or phone me direct. Yeah. I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy for people to do that. Yeah, a quick shout out, Andy, as well, to the transport company Arriva, who are going to be putting posters in all their buses in the northeast. Yeah. And um, yeah, we're hoping to get them elsewhere as well. But also another shout out to the advertising channel Clear Channel, who, if there are any free billboards and bus stops, they're going to put the poster in there as well in the weeks running up to the walk. So thank you very much. That was wonderful. And yeah. That is amazing. That is amazing. And, and as you were saying there, Andy, there's lots of stuff out there. There's social media. Anne-Marie, we can www.facesandvoicesofrecoveryuk.org. Yeah. You can get the recovery walk on there. So it's like if you're wondering where it, you, you've got this podcast, you can listen to it again if you need to hear from Andy. He's told you where it will be. Um, but there's places you can register for this. I know I'm sticking it on my social media as soon as I see it and retweeting and sharing. And, and I know lots of other people are as well. It's just to keep that kind of out there and get as many people um, connected to this. Don't have to register. I know, like, Khalees has put that in. So, is it, you know, she's making me into a proper person. So she is <laughs> getting emails. But you don't have to register. Come along. Yeah. Today, 12 o'clock ceremonial way you're going to have a great time <laughs> yeah absolutely and let's not forget if anybody's inspired by andy's story of how this process has been you can apply to host it as well absolutely. you can get onto the faces and voices of recovery website and if you if you want a piece of the cake that andy's been selling today with us you can absolutely apply to host it as well moving forward you can yeah, absolutely. There was a deadline of yesterday, in fact, but we we haven't been promoting the deadline. So, yeah, there's still plenty of time to uh, yeah. put in to host the walk. Yeah. And, and, and again, for anyone out there thinking, one thing I've took from Andy is there is a lot of planning to this. So it might not be the next year's one. It might you not, might need to get your ducks in a row that, you know, people kind of lined up. So, you know, thinking ahead as well, if that's that's something you're aspiring to, then give that some consideration. Um I th to be honest, I think all that's left. Thank you so much um, for this th this chat today. I, you know, I, I I certainly can feel the energy. You know, of just having this chat with you and what that evokes in me, and 
And to be honest, I'm sitting here and what was really towards the end there, just listening to you both, what was sitting with me was I've, I've been in that place, in a small place with the curtains closed in the dark on my own. And to think that, you know, going from that to, to, to walking down a street with thousands of people, proud of who I am with that with it always feels with the with the the kind of the the the, the kind of the, the message of and I'm working on it as well there's still stuff to do here but mm -hmm. really kind of getting out of that trap and being connected to the community again connected with others again um, and feeling part of is is massive and I think you've both framed it so well so it's going to be fantastic hopefully if you're listening to this you've heard a bit of the why as well a bit of what underpins this and from two amazing people um that that, that do put the energy in with the others to make these things happen, you know, so rock up, take part. And hopefully today's given you a bit of insight into what goes on behind the scenes to make these things happen as well. Um, thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there on September the 17th. Recovery Talks is a podcast from Changing Lives, hosted by Andy Ryan, Summer Stringer, Francis Donnelly and Laura McIntyre and edited by me, Bridget Hamilton. And season four is on its way. At the beginning of October, we'll be back with 10 brand new episodes exploring exactly what recovery means to those working in the sector as well as those accessing it. So we'll see you then. Thank you.